As Mission Sunday, while we celebrate and honor those that we've sent, is really more about those to whom we've sent them. We love all of the families that we support truly, deeply, passionately. We want to do it with excellence. It's, it's what I've given these years of my life to do, is, is to support these missionaries well. But ultimately, it is about Enchewa and Sukuma and Alabamans entering into a growing relationship with Jesus the Christ and receiving the love of Jesus in the midst of life's struggles. That's why in our videos in the lead up to today, we focused a whole lot more on the people that we sent our missionaries to rather than on our missionaries themselves. And, and by the way, if, if you manage to spot Ryan Bartels, pat the dude on the back. Those were some amazing videos that he put together. He managed, he managed to take vague, poorly defined ideas floating around in a number of people's heads and coalesce them into something good that honored the Father. And so thank you. I want to start today by telling you some good news. The good news is that we love and we serve a God who has always been on mission. This book that we have, his Bible, it's a book about a God who's on mission from beginning to end. He's on it. Those, those first 11 chapters of the Bible, when you open them up and look at them, they're setting the stage for what God's going to do. And, and when you come to Genesis chapter 12 and you open that up, the people have at last scattered and filled the earth. Now, it, it took God confounding their languages and sending them out at Babel, but they did it. They're now scattered and they filled the earth. And when the stage is finally set, what does God do? Well, in those first few verses of chapter 12 in Genesis, we find what I believe to be the first great commission. God picks a guy. His name's Abram, and he tells him to go. And he tells him, I'm going to bless you so that all of the nations on earth could be blessed through you. And this begins this, this sweeping narrative of, of a God who is always calling people to himself. Now, now different writers of, of, the, of Scripture caught a vision of this. They caught parts of it, and they, they told us about it. For instance, we read of Psalm 67 today, uh, of, how, of how God intends to bless his people. But he does it so that everyone, all the way to the ends of the earth, can come to know and to fear and to love this God who loves them. Well, into this story, Jesus, the promised Messiah, comes at the appointed time, and he dies. He defeats death, and he defeats God's enemy once and for all, and he reminds us of our calling. This calling that he first issued to his people way back in Genesis 12, Jesus reissues it to us, and we're going to come to that in a moment. And then God is going to keep at it. My friends, God is still a God on mission and he's going to be a God on mission right up until we all get to see this thing that we're told of in Revelation 7 where there's going to be this great multitude of every language and tribe, every nation is going to come together and praise God and cry out that salvation belongs to our God. That day's coming and we're going to get to be a part of it. But right now, we find ourselves today in the middle of this narrative, probably, probably more towards the end than the beginning. We are among those who have been sent by the Christ to do a job. And we're going to consider that sending together this morning. But first, we're going to pause and we're going to ask that the Lord would pour out his spirit on us at this time. God, we give you thanks that the living word, the Christ, came and, and walked among us. He spoke to men and women he proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven is near. 
And God, a couple thousand years ago, you spoke through the words of the Christ. They were written down for us. And so I am asking you, God, please, in Jesus' name, let him speak again to us right now. Let us hear these words afresh and understand a bit more of how you have sent us to join you on your mission. In the Christ we pray, amen. Well, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20 is traditionally called the Great Commission. As you probably picked up on, I consider it more to be the Great Recommission because I believe that from, from as long as God has called people to people, he's been commissioning them. He's been sending them out on mission. Now, now to set the stage for what I'm about to read to you, Jesus has come, Jesus has died, and Jesus has been, risen, has been raised from the dead. And what he's done, he's gathered his 11 disciples together. 11 because Judas ultimately lost faith and he ended himself. He's gathered his 11 together on a mountainside, which if you've been following Matthew's story from the beginning, you know something cool is about to happen because cool stuff happens when Jesus gets together with his disciples on top of mountains. So he calls them together. They come and they worship him and some doubt, which to me, in my wisdom, says they're not ready yet. But Jesus, Jesus knew what he was doing and he continued on. So let's hear his words from the end of the gospel of Matthew. Jesus came to them, to those 11, some of whom still doubt, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And some of the sweetest words in scripture, surely I'm with you always, even until the very end of the age. These final words that Matthew records Jesus saying to his disciples are made up of two promises that bookend one daunting command that he has given us. So we're going to to look at all of it, but we're going to start on the outside and work our way inside. Now the sermon title on your outline comes from these bookends, these all and always statements that the Christ made. We are told that the Christ has all authority, not some of it, not most of it, but that the Christ has authority all authority on heaven and earth. And then we're also told that he's going to always be with us. Not, not some of the time and not most of the time and not just on Sunday mornings and not just in our home culture, but always to the very end of time when time is eventually not going to be a thing anymore. In between those statements, he gives this impossible command, this thing that we can't do but he provides them with these bookending promises in order to assure them that they not only can do this, but they will do this. The one who has all authority everywhere is accompanying them always. And therefore, hear these words, listen up. The impossible becomes not only possible, it becomes inevitable. Imagine that. So we're gonna stop here and we're gonna ask a question. Something that's been on my mind Why did Jesus wait till now to give the Great Commission? Wouldn't it have made more sense for him to give it, say, 23 chapters earlier when he was giving the the, the Sermon on the Mount? He could have given his disciples a little bit more heads up before he left them heads up, watching him go into the clouds, scratching their heads, wondering how in the world they're going to finish the job that he started. Well, I believe we need to understand something. We need to understand that Jesus waited to give the Great Commission Because only the resurrected Lord, only the innocent lamb who had submitted to death on a tree at the hands of sinners for their sins had the right 
to claim that all authority on heaven and earth is his and that he will be with them always to the end of the age. Multiple times, including those very moments when the disciples finally got it right and they said that we do believe you are the Christ. Even in those times, he told them that he has to die. Jesus made it clear to us that in order for his sacrifice to atone for our sins and to make guilty people innocent or to restore the honor of shamed people or to bring power and confidence to a weak and scared people, Jesus had to die. Now, this is something that that the New Testament writers grappled with. They struggled with why this was the case. The writer of Hebrews, he struggled with it, and this is what he said about it. In chapter 9, he said, But he, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined once to die and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time. Not this time to bear sin, but to bring salvation for all of those who are waiting on him May God give us the grace to be some of those people who are found to be waiting on him when he does come. The Great Commission was saved to the end of Jesus' time on earth because he first had to die and be raised up in order to have the authority to offer us the power and the hope to accomplish this otherwise impossible task. Which brings us now to what we've been commanded to do. We've considered the bookends. Let's look in the middle here. Understanding now that Jesus has the authority to send us and he has the ability to be with us always, what are we supposed to do? Well, with the time remaining to us, we're going to consider four verbs and one noun. Have I ever told you I'm the son of an English teacher? Um, First, the noun. We're sent to make disciples of all nations. Now, when Jesus sent the disciples and when he sends us, he doesn't have in mind political entities. Most of, the lang- most, most of the nations that are on earth today politically didn't exist even at the time of Jesus. And so he's not really talking about political nations. The word that Matthew records Jesus using here is the root word of our word, ethnicity. It doesn't really refer to a people who are united politically, although it could, I guess. It's more to people who are related by language or by culture or by religion. For instance, let's consider these United States. We are one united nation politically. But really, when you start talking culture and language and values and priorities and rhythm of life, how much does a man, a young man born in the heart of Brooklyn, really have in common with a young man born in the swamps of Louisiana or another man who was born in the barrios of El Paso, Texas? Culturally, there's, there's a great divide there. What Jesus was actually talking about here wasn't political nations. He was talking about people groups. And we, as a church family who send, we need to be strategic about the people groups that we target. This is where vision comes in. I want to wrap up this Imagine Sermon series back where Jesus... Jesus. Bet you appreciate that, don't you, buddy? Back where Buddy began this sermon series for us. On the last day of 2017, (laughs) Buddy, maybe Jesus spoke through Buddy, to tell us to imagine a vision that is unusual, essential, and powerful. And this is the vision that describes your missions program. To begin with, our mission efforts are unusual. 
including your missions minister. To give you an idea of this, I want to remind you that among other efforts, we support five families who serve in three different countries, Tanzania and I want to show you a map. It was Mission Sunday. You knew you'd see a map eventually. This is a map produced by an organization called Open Doors. What Open Doors does, they rank the world's 50 most difficult countries in which to be a Christian. They consider personal, familial, political, professional, religious factors, as well as simply the amount of persecution that our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ experience each year. Now, if you've got a really good pair of glasses or if you're really good at geography, you'll see that those three countries and Tanzania are all right there in the 30s. Every one of these places to which we have sent our beloved are places where the persecution of our family is high. This is why it's imperative that we have vision to imagine sending people into these nations. And because special sending churches, and, and I want you to hear me, Landmark, you are a special sending church. Special sending churches need to be involved in sending into the hard places. And that requires having an unusual vision. Second, the vision to accomplish Christ's mission is essential. It absolutely has to happen. It can't not happen. Let's consider Malawi. In the country of Malawi, hundreds of orphans and other children in distress have been blessed through Landmark's efforts over the years. Additionally, through the past and actually through the ongoing work that Bruce and Beth Smith have done, churches in this HIV-AIDS-tormented country are the ones who are rising up to care for those who struggle with this disease. Let's consider also our Christ-centered addiction recovery programs. Without RSVP, And without the shed, how many more men and women would still be trapped in the chains of addiction? Our very own Michael Jordan, in in talking to him uh, last week, by the way, he's been clean now five years and a week, just to put that on the record. He told me that five years ago, he never could have imagined a day where it could have been said from the pulpit to his church family that he'd been clean for five years. What you do as a church today on Mission Sunday is a part of Michael's clean and sober walk with Jesus today. Third, this mission is powerful. In Alabama state prisons, as in all prisons on earth, many of the men who are inside are going to eventually be released and pretty quickly wind up right back inside. But yet... Your missionary to Alabama State Prisons, David Knowles, who's here with his bride Amy today with us, he's part of a Christ-centered manhood program that sees 90%, 9 out of 10 graduates of this program stay out of prison and thrive because all authority is Jesus and because he's always with us. In new independent churches are simply not allowed to register with the government. They don't permit it, but yet... Because believers have good imaginations and because all authority is Jesus and because he's with us always. Friends, there's a new church. And while it's technically not illegal to open up a new church, practically it just doesn't happen. Or when it does, it gets shut down quickly or in some cases it actually gets destroyed. But yet, there is a new church that meets in Because all authority is Jesus and because he is always with us and our extended family. Friends, it's an unusual and essential and a powerful vision that we're celebrating and funding today. And finally, 
I want to get to our four verbs. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I was told recently is that it's charming when my nerd comes out. And, and so that's what I'm counting on right now. And I can hear you saying right now, when does he think his nerd is not out? <laughs> the order that Jesus, the order of the verbs that Jesus gives his disciples is this. Go, disciple, baptize, and teach. That said, not all verbs are created equally, and they're certainly not used equally in this passage. Out of those four verbs, go, disciple, baptize, and teach, only one of them is actually phrased by our Lord as a command. Despite how our English translations wind up wording it to make sense for us in English, the other three verbs modify or describe Jesus' one command, telling us more about how it's to happen. Do you know which one it is? You might think it's go, since I'm the missions minister, but it's not. I heard several of you say it. It's disciple. The command in this passage is disciple. The going, the baptizing, the teaching, that's all about how Jesus expects us to disciple, but the whole thing really boils down to discipleship. It is the beating heart of the Great Commission. If I were to boil these verses all the way down to their simplest form, I would say, I have all authority, therefore disciple all people, I am always with you. Mission work is more about discipleship even than evangelism. I would even go so far as to say that mission is discipleship. It takes many forms, but ultimately people, the ball game is whether or not people are being led into a growing relationship with Jesus. And that requires discipleship. Now the truth is all of our missionaries are in one way or another disciplers. I and they could stand on this stage and tell you countless stories of people who are growing in their walk with God. But today I want to, or I have the privilege of getting to update you on a story that you've been hearing in installments. You've heard it in installments because it's been happening as we report it to you. So I want to give you an update on a friend of this congregation. You guys first met after the summer that we spent studying spiritual gifts. One of our missionaries discovered that she had the gift of discernment. She began trying to be more intentional about listening to what the Holy Spirit said. And so one day at the beginning of the semester when she met a new crop of students, she heard the Holy Spirit say to her, that one's ready. So acting on faith, she invited this young man into their home. And when he walked into their apartment, he came in telling them, I know you. I've known you for a long time. I was the busboy. Let's go ahead and put this picture up there. He's there was the busboy at the barbecue restaurant that used to frequent during their men's prayer group times and wanted to know what makes them different it's a great question to be asked so we began telling him what makes him different he began discipling him one of the really great things about it was that everything that we told him immediately took and even though he was as yet an unprofessed semi-believer in christ he went and he told it to his roommates and to his girlfriend and some other friends on campus. Eventually, they had a, that sort of a crash course on their winter break and what it means to be a Christian. And things were going great until one day when completely and totally dropped off the map. He stopped returning calls. He began avoiding whenever he saw him at school. And eventually, he told me he had to resign to this list of friends that he's got that he prays for uh, but that he really struggles having the faith to believe that he's ever going to see the fruit from his seed planting. 
Well, after a period of silence for a few months, I heard from a co-worker that had just introduced himself to this co-worker as someone who had studied the Bible with Now, that's a pretty big deal to say out loud. And so we followed up with and he got good news. He hadn't gone silent because he didn't believe. He backed away because of how much he believed and how it scared him. But had recently decided that he wanted Jesus to be Lord of his life. And so I kid you not, he Googled how to become a Christian. In his dorm room, he asked Jesus into his heart. And because Google Translate doesn't really know what it's doing all the time and mistranslated the word baptism, took a shower. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Rejoiced together. They studied a little bit more about what the New Testament has to say about a public confession of faith, about what it means to repent, about the significance of being baptized, of being buried with Christ in baptism. And they headed down to the river that runs, runs through the city and his family and his girlfriend. And after a public confession of faith, he was baptized into Christ. And now, our God is choosing to work through Jesus. helps teach the children at the Christian church. Read scripture on his own. He started in chapter 1, verse 1, and he's plowed all the way through. He's in 1 Kings. He did it. He beat Leviticus. That's a victory. <laughs> and now Jim is discipling his girlfriend, his roommates, and even another neighbor that lives on their hall. This, brothers and sisters, is what mission work is all about. It is disciples who, as they go, make disciples that make disciples through baptizing and teaching. Which now brings me to our response today. We know from Scripture how those original 11 disciples responded. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that finally put some steel into their backbones, these doubters became men who, in the words of the Thessalonians in Acts 17, came and turned the world upside down. The promise that Jesus both has all authority and will be with them always empowered them to make disciples everywhere they went as they baptized and as they taught. And so my question today for us is, what's stopping us? Maybe it's a lack of imagination on our part. Maybe we need to do a little better job of, as we go, imagining that God intends to use us to make disciples. Yes, abroad, through the efforts that Landmark does, and that's an important thing. But also in your life group. Also in your workplace. Also in your classrooms at school. Because here's the thing. I mentioned to you that every one of our missionaries is a discipler. Every one of them was also discipled at some point by someone. Kevin Linderman, last week from this stage, he told us of how he and his sister did not grow up in a believing household, but that there was a family that believed in them and invested them and went out of their way to bring them to church. And now both Kevin, whom you know well, and his sister, who's actually my bride's best friend and who's, they served together on the mission field together as single women. They have served and they have won souls and they have proclaimed the kingdom because that couple believed in them and did the effort to put in the effort to, to disciple them. From our core of long-term missionaries, were all formed. They were all discipled to one degree or another here at Landmark before we sent them out to the field. And it is still happening today. James and Meredith Thompson, who are products of the Landmark Campus Ministry, are serving alongside a multi-ethnic church in Prato, Italy today as we speak. And one of our current students 
is, is very seriously considering joining them after she graduates. Whom you saw in the communion video is a daughter of this church family, a product of our youth group, and she's serving right now alongside the Every year, you, landmark members, give up your spring breaks, your summer breaks, your winter breaks, your vacation time to be sent on mission around this world. And beyond these individual efforts of people following where God's calling them, your church leadership right now, we're exploring ways that our teens and our college and adults and whole families can participate in the same short-term missions point. In other words, it could be that part of God's call on your life is to go. But even if you're not called to venture beyond the river region, I know he's calling you to disciple those around you because every single time that you invest in one of the sons and daughters of this church, it doesn't take a lot of imagination that you might be touching the next William or the next Judy or the next Joey. So that's our first response. Disciple someone. And by the way, beginning next week, as as a promo for this, next week, Buddy's going to be discipling all of us. He's going to be teaching us some things that we can do to create room in our lives, to create spaces in our hearts for the Holy Spirit to be at work within us. So you don't want to miss that. You want to come back next week, even though obviously we're peaking this Sunday. The, The other Sundays will be good. That's our first response. Disciple someone. There are two responses that still remain to us, both of which we're going to do now. The first... I have the honor of getting to lead you through. The second, Buddy's going to lead you through. Now, the most important way that we support all of our missionaries and our mission efforts is through prayer. When God's people pray, he answers. The miraculous things that God's doing around the world through people that we have the privilege of sending are being accomplished to his glory through the prayers of his saints. And whether you feel like a saint this morning or not, you are one. Now, as Wes mentioned to you earlier, inside of your copy of Lifelines, there should have been three cards. There was the usual connection card. There was a commitment card for you to let us know if you intend to keep giving past today to missions. The most important thing in there was all of you should have a prayer card. The one that I drew this morning was for Tendary Village. In one sense, these prayer cards have been randomly assigned to you. But in another sense, I hope that you will receive these as a charge from your church leadership to pray for one of our missionary families or one of our mission efforts throughout the upcoming year. And by the way, if you're one of those prayer warriors that wants one of all of them, they're at the information center in the back. So in the past, we've just handed you a prayer card and asked you to go pray. We're not doing that today. Today we're going to start our ministry of prayer over these prayer cards right now. With what I'm going to do now, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And there are going to be moments where I pause and I want you to say out loud the name of the people that you've been called to pray for. There's also going to be a moment where we're going to pause and you're going to have the chance to, in your heart, to pray through the things that your missionaries have asked you to pray for for them in this upcoming year. Then I'll close that prayer and then Buddy will come and speak to us. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Right now, we come before you as your sons and your daughters in this landmark family, and we lift up to you, say the names. We come asking that you would work through, say them again, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus and to experience his love in the midst of their struggles. We ask in Jesus' name that you would go before these, our beloved, and that you would defeat the enemy and all of his efforts against, say their names again.
Right now, Father, receive our silent prayers as we pray in our hearts through the requests that are written on these cards. Lord, work in us such that this is only the first of literally hundreds of times that we would intercede on behalf of these, your servants, in the upcoming year. We pray these things through the Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. What a... Please be seated. What a wonderful, motivating presentation. Aren't you glad that Peter is our missions minister? (laughs) I figure if I could be Jesus, you could be Peter, all right? As we've been going through this, we're thinking about our response uh, to all that Andy has shared with us. I think of one of the most famous missionaries in history, which is William Carey. He was a British missionary at the end of the 17th century, and um, he went to India. He went and in, in, in looked at India. Then he came back, and he met with a group of men who were wanting to possibly support him. And so he tells them how the fields are ripe, and, and they begin to get on board. And, and finally, William Carey says, he says, well, I will go if you will hold the rope. Don't you love that phrase? If you will hold the rope. And so William Carey goes, and he spends the rest of his life in India, 41 years. Actually, he's buried in India. Now, there are lots of biographies written about him because he's one of the most famous missionaries. But recently, there's been another biography written about one of the men who held the rope. His name was Andrew Fuller. In fact, he headed up the group that supported William Carey. And so he raised the money. He kept the funds going. Despite the fact that he had financial problems, he lost his wife. Eight of his 11 children died young. He held that rope. And the author of that book about him says, he was the ultimate rope holder. And my friends, that's a good picture of what we've been called to do today. As you hold that card in your hand of the mission point that you have prayed about, now we have a chance to hold the rope. I love that phrase. It's been adopted in many areas. Many sports teams use it. If they have a difficult season or or challenges or they're tempted to give up, the coach will say, let's all grab hold of the rope and let's hold the rope. Some people trying to identify who the person in their life that they they trust the most, they they show this picture. They said, what would you do if you were dangling over a cliff, a 10,000 foot drop, and, and the only thing you could hold on to was a rope for your survival? Who would you want to hold your rope? And so today, we get a chance to be the trustworthy rope holders. See, our question today, hold up that card of the person you just prayed for. Everybody, hold up the card of the person you just prayed for. Now, on your other hand, hold up the commitment card to giving. Hold both of them up. In the next moment, these two things are going to come together. You can put them down. The person you prayed for, and this is going to tell us if we are going to be trustworthy to hold the rope for them. And so you're going to have a few moments. We're about to play a song. 
We want you just to, to be contemplating and meditating on what God is calling you to give. But I'm telling you, to be a part of this, man, to, to say that, that we get to play the equally important role of holding that rope is amazing. And so today, you can just put a check in for everything you want to give. Or, or you can put a check in and then also say, I mean, give the rest, the rest of this year. I mean, you've got lots of options here of how that you can give. But we need to get this today. Because we want to serve these people well. Well, there's, there's so much more that we can provide for the mission points we have right now. And as we dream about over the last month that God can do more than we ask or imagine, there's so many other places in the world that we need to go. But it's all dependent on you and I holding the rope. So you can grab it and hold it tight. We'll ask you in the next moments just to, to bring your commitment card up or your giving or you can, you can give by text. We ask you to bring your connection cards up here. This is our response time. I'm asking the MVT, our mission vision team, if they'd come surround the stage. And they'll hold these baskets representing me, the places where we serve. You want to talk about people who hold the rope? It's the people you're about to look at. Who, who dream about our mission work, who support our missionaries, who guide this effort. So in the next few moments... You get a chance to come up, and you give a chance to give. If today you need the prayers of this church, we'll pray for you. If maybe today's a day in your life where, quite frankly, you can't hold the rope, and we need to hold the rope for you, come let us know. If today's the day that you want to surrender your life to Jesus and join this great mission, then come forward and meet me on the front row, and you can be baptized today. So, my brothers and sisters, we've seen a great picture of nine incredible mission points. Now we get to hold the rope. So just come as you're moved and put your cards in the basket or meet me on the front row as the music is played.